0: Morning church family. How are you? Good. So glad you're here. Got some burly gentlemen handing out your outline for the morning. Hopefully you have your trusty great adventure pen so you can take notes. If uh, you haven't seen it a while, check your mailbox. It's probably in there with your name tag. So let's talk through 1 Peter chapter 3. Listen as I read the word. Finally, all of you, we're starting in verse 8. I should let you know that, shouldn't I, Elena. Verse 8, we're starting. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults. When people insult you, instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and His ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns His face against those who do evil. Verse 13. Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer... Always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Verse 18, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. Father, we're so thankful for your holy word. Thankful that it's unchanging. Thankful that it's stable and trustworthy. Thank you that it's clear. Thank you that it's helped by your Holy Spirit working in our lives to to allow us, Lord, to live this out. And so this morning we need the Spirit to work both in how this message is shared and how this message is received. We want to be obedient children of our wonderful Heavenly Father, and so we trust you to work through us in your Spirit to help us to do, desire to do and to do what you've asked us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Good news, I've been awake only three hours and I've already struggled with these verses immensely. You might find out what I'm talking about. I'm thankful this morning that we have a passage that's tough to do but not really hard to understand, in my humble opinion. So other passages, you got to wrestle with what they mean and after decades of studying, people are still wrestling. I don't think that's really the case with this one. That's the good news. The bad news is this is maybe one of the hardest groups of challenges to actually follow through with. This runs contrary to every bit of influence of the flesh in your life. Remember that old corpse that you're still carrying around? The corpse that you've been freed from in the spirit, but I still hold on to that old habitual way of living? Every bit of the world is going to fight this. Every message you see on Instagram, every ad on the television, every bit of social media will fight to oppose what we're being told to do this morning. And certainly our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The devil is eager and has been since the garden to make sure that these concepts, these principles are not carried out by God's children. The beauty is, as 2 Peter 1 says, we have all that we need for life and godliness. These challenges are not too difficult for the spirit-filled believer. God himself says, I will give you the strength to obey what you're about to hear. If I don't obey, it's because I choose to disobey. And I've been struck with the importance of that and the responsibility of that this morning. So as we start, look at your outline. You see the first word and it says, finally, or others might say, in conclusion, right? Well, what's the final? What's so final about this message? We're not even halfway through the book, so it's not like he's wrapping up the letter, right? He's wrapping up the section on submission, so if you remember, there were three main challenges, three main calls of, of either celebrating or obeying. And one was the wonderful salvation, grace through salvation. Two was grace through submission, grace through submission. And three, grace through suffering, grace through suffering. And so the finally wraps up this section of grace through submission And the second half transitions to the grace through suffering. So we got a taste of both. But the principles are clear in both settings. Because of that kind of transition, you've got two sections this morning. The concept of obedience, the challenge to obedience is the same. Very clear. But the context or the setting in which we're to obey is two separate settings. One... It's the general as you live, good times, sort of bad times. Second part is living these principles out during persecution, during suffering. And while you face suffering, you face persecution, it's very different than what these saints suffered. And whether we'll have to endure that before the Lord Jesus comes back or not, there's a preparation in our hearts and minds for being ready for suffering, whether that's little or that's large. So there's a little bit of the framework. Let's dig into exactly what's being said. Finally, verse 8, all of you should be of one mind. All of you should be of one mind. I am not a Greek scholar. My friend Joel and I love it. We love talking Greek, don't we, buddy? Probably dominates our... No, we're not Greek scholars. Others of you are, and we appreciate that. But I'm told that this work for one-minded, this word for one-minded, it's one of those weird words that when you, when you understand it in Greek, it doesn't really have a great translation in English. It's one of those words that means so much more than any single English word can explain to us. In this case, It's the Greek word that says like-minded, and when I hear that, I think, okay, like-minded, the way I think. Be like each other in the way you think. It's only a fraction. When this was written in Greek, there was an understanding and an emphasis that we're not only people who think, we're people that do, and we're people that feel. And when this author put that word, in my understanding, the only time it's used in the New Testament right here, when this word is put, it's an emphasis on not only how I think, not only what I do, but also how I feel. The stunning reality to me was that God tells you how to feel. The reality is is that our culture has made your feelings off-limits. People can tell you how to think, people can tell you what to do, but uh-uh, you ain't telling me how to feel. What I feel is what I feel, Carlos. Not the case. According to the Holy Word of God, God says, adjust your feelings to match what God feels. Hmm. So this morning, I have no doubt that you're going to understand clearly what God is telling you as to how to think. You're men and women of action. I have no doubt that you'll be ready to put the obedience into action with your, with how you act. But for me, maybe for you, being told how to feel is going to be maybe some uncharted territory. And so be prepared that I need to submit... My feelings to God. And I need to acknowledge that God is going to ask me to feel differently about things than my natural bent, than my first impression, than how I'm choosing to. See where we're going with this? Tough stuff. Tough stuff. So as we finally wrap up the section of submission, keep that in mind. It's about thinking in submission, acting, In submission, but feeling in submission to God. The other part of this finally is, okay, he's broken down submission into all these individual peoples. He's talked about husbands and wives. He's talked about, uh, employers and employees. He's talked about, uh, government and citizens. All of those are tough to figure and we'll keep working together to figure out exactly what's meant about all of those. But now he gets to more of this general General, Regardless of what interaction you have, regardless of which part of your life you're operating in, at work, at church, at home with your wife and kids or husband and kids, regardless of the context, this is a general command to submit. Each one of us, men, women, and children who know the Lord is our Savior. I think it always needs to be said that that submission needs to start with Accepting verse 18. So let's look. We're told to submit, and at the end of our passage, we're reminded of the first key to submission. Verse 18, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. The first submission that God calls us to is receiving the Lord Jesus as our Savior. He died on the cross to pay for your sins. Your sin, according to Romans 3, according to Romans 6, according to so many other passages, your sin, my sin, demands eternal punishment. One of them. One sin, eternal punishment. I can't handle that. No way can I erase a sin. doesn't matter how many good things I try and do. It does not erase a sin. And so by God's amazing grace we sing and we read that Christ died for sinners once for all to save you and to bring you safely home. This is good news. But have I submitted to that? Have I come to that point in my life where head knowledge isn't enough and I have to say yes. I believe it. I trust you Lord Jesus. I receive Your gift of salvation. The flesh, the world, the devil want nothing to do with that in your heart and life. And if you're here this morning and you've yet to receive Christ as your savior, today is the day of salvation as the scripture says. Today is that day where I say, yes. Okay. It's not about me trying to figure out how I can somehow earn the favor of God. I submit. You're right. I receive your amazing gift of salvation. It's so frustrating because like that should be hard, right? Should it be hard to take the largest gift known to humankind? No, but it is because of that pride in my heart. And so I pray that the Lord will be working in our hearts For those of us here that have not received the the gift of salvation, I'll be praying that the Lord will open your heart and your mind and allow you to receive that wonderful work of salvation. Once you have received it, it doesn't necessarily get any easier, but now at least we have the Holy Spirit of the living God living in us. So I know you'll understand that we're being told how to think, I trust fully that as men and women of action, you'll be ready to carry out these actions. But again, focus on how God wants me to feel. And let's do it. Point two, section B, we start of exactly how God wants us to feel. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Sympathize with each other. Feel what others feel. Identify, relate, and join each other in their feelings. We're pretty bad at this, frankly, so many times. Even with the Spirit of God, we have this tendency to think and feel the way we feel and even tell someone who's hurting or imply to someone who's hurting or think about someone who's hurting. Well, if you just feel how I feel, you'd be good to go. It's not what God is calling us to do here. God is calling us to feel with that person, to identify what they're going through and to relate and connect on an emotional level so that you can share in those feelings. Husbands, if you're good at a lot of things, this is not historically one of them. And so as we Ch- take the challenge of living with our wives and understanding. One of the best things we can do is learn to feel what our wives are feeling. That's nuts. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> when we do that, <laughs> we'll enjoy more of the long life that's described later, right? <laughs> but take that to heart. Chew on that. Make some notes on that. Where am I missing on feeling what my wife is feeling? My wife doesn't want me to solve her problems. The first step, she wants me to have an identification and to understand how she feels. I think that's a key part of the verses that Mark shared with us of living and understanding. Our kiddos want us to feel what they feel. My kids are very good at articulating this to me. Dad! Dad! I just want you to feel what I'm talking about here. Give me a minute. Then we can talk about what to do better. Okay, sorry. But man, if we can connect with our kiddos on how they feel, I think that'll be sweet water to their soul. I think that'll be an oasis of, oh, someone who understands me in this nuts world. It's been said that, When we as kids, us old duffers, when we as kids went home, you were pretty much done with the drama from school. Maybe they were going to call on the landline and you'd stretch the corn cord around the, the corner of the kitchen and you'd talk for 15 minutes while everybody in the house could hear what you're saying and then you'd be done. But these days you end at 3.15 and then the day starts and social media starts and your connection begins and feelings are hurt and things are said and you live in this constant phase of drama. I don't know if there's ever been a time where our kids need us more than now. Our kids need to know that we feel what they feel. Brothers and sisters, when we get to out the front door when we get to church when we get to reaching out to each other during the week as we're supposed to be doing we need to feel what each other feels I had such a great week in so many ways and one of the highlights was sitting down with a friend in his living room in the middle of the day because we we took lunch and it turned into two hours right and we I feel really connected on how each other was feeling in some of these issues and I really believe that we were able to identify with each other, and it was sweet. It was very special, very meaningful. Do we take the time to feel what our brothers and sisters are feeling? And do we take the time to sympathize with that, to identify that, to understand that? It's been said that love covers a multitude of sins. Have you heard that? I think you know what I mean. When someone you really like does something or says something, It's a whale of a lot easier to kind of get past it than when people that we are mad at or frustrated with or don't particularly like say the same kind of thing. You notice that? We need to change our feelings so that our brothers and sisters, our kids, our spouses, understand that we are sympathetic, truly feeling and identifying. Very important. Number two... Brotherly love. Brotherly love. My understanding is this is not the gushy romantic love. This is more in the lines of uh Phileo, like Philadelphia, the, the city of brotherly love. Or even a little bit into agape, right? Where we we want what's best for each other. And so I think you've got both here in the brotherly love and tender hearted. I think you got both concepts of that. So the first one, brotherly love, I think that first starts with the agape. Agape is wanting God's best for somebody else, no matter what. Wanting God's best for someone else. And when we want what God wants for an individual, we're truly loving them. When we are committed to helping carry out what God truly wants in their life. Sons and daughters, that's why your parents challenge you to follow the word of God. And while you don't love it, It's essential. We would be bad parents if we would go along with certain things despite it being not God's best for you. So when your mom and dad say, guess what, one hour of phone time, they're not saying it to be jerks, they're saying it because they love you and they want what's best for you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when we challenge each other, It can be out of brotherly love. It can be tough love, as it's said, right? It can be those hard conversations where we say, "I love you, bro, but you missed the boat here," and that's important. Do we love each other enough to challenge each other? And do we love each other enough to receive that challenge with grace? And you'll see another response in a, in a couple points here. Brotherly love, there's agape there. There's there's an importance of understanding that hey, there's some there's some adjustments that we need to encourage each other to make so that we're wanting God's best for each other. I think we get into verse uh, the next one. Be tender-hearted, and I think we get a strong sense of the the uh, more phileo side of this. The tender-hearted is a gentle affectionate love. This hit me. I'm still working on this, so flesh through it with me. Flesh it out with me. But uh, I've lived by the mantra, I don't have to like my brothers and sisters in Christ. I just need to love them. I'm wondering if that's wrong. I'm wondering if tender-hearted means it's not just about loving It's about liking, connecting, being affectionate with each other. This is tough. There are people that will rub you the wrong way, I promise. Look around. Don't look around. Just kidding. (laughs) The Holy Scripture of God calls us to set aside my preferences of personality, my past of interaction, and calls me to have affection for each other. You'd think that the husband-wife relationship is the easiest place for this. No, it's one of the hardest. If I allow my heart to get grounded in bitterness or dispute, I can treat my wife incredibly unaffectionately. And I can treat my husband, you can treat your husband incredibly unaffectionately. The scriptures calls us not only to want some the best, want God's best for someone. The scriptures call us to be tender-hearted with each other, affectionate with each other. And I want to challenge myself and I want to challenge you to start to think through those fellow believers in the Lord Jesus that really get on your nerves. I have to look at the back because I don't want any of you to think you're the ones that get on my nerves. So I'm staring straight ahead. (laughs) I'm kidding. Eye contact is no correlation, please. But let's really search our hearts as to who we struggle with. And let's really understand that that struggle needs to be submitted to God. But I got to get over it. I got to get past it. And I have to submit my feelings to Almighty God and say, no, I'm going to be tender-hearted, affectionate with my brothers and sisters. I am going to not only love my brothers and sisters, I'm going to love. I'm not going to love my brothers and sisters, I'm going to like my brothers and sisters. And that can take time and that can take effort and that can take connection outside of these walls because you don't have time in an hour and a half to get that done, so... Don't have time in three hours here to get that done, so I'm gonna to have to initiate some some additional time so that we can work through whatever it is and make sure that we are affectionate and tender hearted with each other. Well, if those are a piece of cake, we come to the really tough one. Number four humble ourselves. Be tender hearted and keep a humble attitude. This is a refresher from back in chapter one. Refresher from back in chapter one where holiness is directly linked to me humbling myself and putting God's values and what's important to him above my own. I believe it's the same concept, but now it's horizontal. That's a vertical humbling. We're going to hear it again, I believe, in chapter five. But now we need a horizontal humbling. I love and hate Romans 12. Do not think more highly of yourselves than you ought to think. That's a horizontal humbling. I'm commanded by Scripture to view you as more important, more valuable, more clever, wiser. I'm commanded to lower my belief of my value Compared to my belief of your value. I need to say, hey, if, we're, if they want to do it this way, I see no conflict with the Word of God, we're going to do it your way, not my way. This could never apply to marriage. Oh, so tough, isn't it? As a husband, as a wife, are we willing to say, you know what? You're more important. Your feelings are more important. Your... Best is more important. Our affectionate close relationship is more important than making an issue of how we load the dishwasher. The vacation choice, it's more important that we go with what you want because you are what's, re- you who are really important. A humbling, a setting aside of my own. An argument. Okay. Even when KT says something really stupid that Christy could just pounce on and grind me into the ground, no, I'm going to let that idiotic statement pass and I'm going to humbly continue to love tenderly and sympathetically. And of course, that's the other way. Are we humble and gentle with our wives, my brothers? Are we humble and gentle? I'm reminded of the passage Mark taught on when Christ reviled, He reviled not. Huge part of humility is when I get punched in the face, I don't revile back. Humble myself under the mighty hand of God and He will exalt me in due time, casting all my cares on Him for He cares for me. Sympathy, brotherly love, tender heartedness, and humility feelings, mindset, and action that Almighty God calls us to. What's he say next? He gives us some practical how to carry these out. And this is still section one of two, right? We're still in the good times. We're still talking about how to act when the persecution isn't raging terribly. But I said this a few weeks ago, I'll say it again. If we can learn to submit to God in these feelings, actions, and mindset when times are good, then I believe we'll be better prepared to excel in these when times are rough. Now, persecution has the weird way of forcing us to our knees to submit. I believe there's a special reward, a special reward for those of us who choose to submit to God and to one another on these even before harsh persecution comes. Follow my logic there. Search the scriptures. See if that's true. I believe that there's a privilege for those of us that learn to submit to each other in good times. And I also believe that'll get us ready for the bad. So we're still in good times here. We're still in good times, but we're going to learn how to carry this out. And we're going to see verse 9. Don't repay evil for evil. One commentator said there's three approaches. There's the... Satanic approach where we repay good with evil someone does something to good and we strike them with evil There's the human approach Where we repay evil with evil and good with good if you treat me right? Yeah, I'll treat you right, but if you cross me you'll regret it And then there's the godly approach the supernatural approach where I repay evil with good When he reviled, when he was reviled, he reviled not. When he was reviled, he reviled, reviled not. Our, our Savior's example. So don't repay evil for evil. This is clear. You know what I'm talking about. Today, evil will be done against you. Sam, is, who's it going to be? Who's going to do evil against you? Don't answer that. Evil will be done against you today. How will I respond? Will I respond humanly? Or godly? Will I carry out submission to God to say, when I'm wrong, not if, when I'm wronged, I'm going to repay that wrong with a blessing. And he says that. He gets to that point with the next action. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. I'll go back to the, the husband-wife, something I have struggled with for decades and we'll, we'll continue to, to work through is if something insulting is said to me, I'm right back with an insult. And if Christy says, well, why, why did you, why would you say that? Well, you said, does that matter? Not according to the word of God. When I am insulted, I do not insult in retaliation. I just don't if I want to honor the Lord. If I'm going to submit to God's holy word, I will reply with love to an unkind comment. Take that to the bank, right? When somebody at work gives me a real zinger, the zinger may not return. The response may not be proportional. We must be godly and submit to Almighty when he says, do not retaliate with insults when people insult you, not if. When people insult you, give blessing instead. Other scriptures will say, pray for those who persecute you. Give blessings instead. Have you ever tried to pray for the people you're really ticked at? It's tough, but effective. Because prayer is humility. I can't think of a more humble place than to say, God, I need you. I can't get this done. I depend on you, Father. Please, please, work in this way, work in this way, work in this way. I can't do it, so I'm depending. Try praying for one another when you're insulted. Make a note, sticky note, whatever it takes. Next time I'm insulted, I want a Nehemiah-like prayer. Remember Nehemiah? Nehemiah was asked a question by the king, the, the, in, the man who had the right to end his life if he answered wrong. And Scripture records, I believe Nehemiah too, we'll check, Scripture records that Nehemiah took the second or two seconds to pray to the Lord for wisdom and for help. Next time you're insulted, I would challenge us to pray for a split second, hold the tongue, ask for God's grace, ask for God's mercy, ask for God's help, and listen to the Spirit's leading of how I can respond to this insult with a blessing. It's interesting that uh, when we do that, the next sections, still good times, we haven't gotten to the persecution yet, still good times, but the good times now point to two different ways that this is such a winner response. When we submit to God by returning insult with blessing and returning with evil with good, God promises blessing on two different levels. Promises blessing on two different levels. And he summarizes this in verse 9. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults. When people insult you, instead pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessing. He will grant you his blessing. And I believe he's lined up this blessing in at least two different ways, two different contexts. One, let's read. And we're quoting, I believe, Psalm 3 and parts of 34 here. We can, we can check on that. But Psalm 3, Psalm 34, make a note, check back and line these quotes up. If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Verse 12. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. See the reference of of Proverbs here. The first way that God blesses, I believe, is a general alignment with how God designed us to live. What do I mean? Good, clean living is God's plan. When we live how God has asked us to live, good things happen in this life. Do I do that so that God will do this? Do I give so God will make me rich? No. But when we live the way God has called us to live, good things happen in this life. He's hardwired us for that response. When we do evil, many of you can attest, that's where things go off the rails. That's where things go down the tubes. We are designed to live by God's code of conduct, by God's plan. We are designed to live for good. And so Proverbs 15, 1 reminds us that a soft word turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. My grandfather was at the landfill, a.k.a. the dump, and he was unloading a load. He was actually, before unloading, he was trying to back his trailer. He was trying to back up his trailer, and it was taking forever. He wasn't getting the job done. And a burly old trucker who was waiting to make his dump said, Come on, will you get going? And instead of retaliating with evil for evil, my grandfather said, Sir, I'm sorry, I'm really trying. And instantly the harsh old burly dude softened and instantly he backed off got back in his truck and remarkably patiently waited for grandpa to get the trailer right a soft answer turns away wrath have you have you experienced this maybe with your kids maybe with your wife maybe with your coworkers maybe with your friends maybe with strangers it's a it's a hard wire it's the way god has created his universe it's still not totally broken so that this principle still applies. That typically when you're out in public and you give a smile, what do you get back? Typically a smile. Typically when you give a soft answer, what do you get back? A soft response. Typically, this is a great way to avoid conflict. That's one approach. But the sad part is that what will come in invariably, I believe, inevitably, what will come even from your kindness and your goodness over time, is still jealousy and resentment. So even though God has wired us for good and wired us for grace and wired us for submission and wired us for gentleness, we also know that when I see gentleness in my brother Eric, that's going to cast the light on my lack of gentleness. And I can respond with resentment and jealousy. And so expect, expect that after enough times where Sam is just so gracious to his sister and Lily is just so gentle, there will be the temptation for people to resent that in you. Not because it's not of God, but because my flesh, the world, and the devil hate when others do something better than I, when I know I should be doing, right? So those are two kind of automatics that generally in life Generally still in life, when you speak softly, you'll receive a soft response. Generally, when you do good, you'll receive good. But understand that our flesh, the world, and devil are broken enough to where that ain't going to last. And eventually there's going to be jealousy and resentment even from our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's work through it. Let's push on. Let's continue knowing that that negative response just gives us that much more opportunity to be steadfast in the blessing that we lend. So, generally, but number two, number two, there is another reason for good living, and it's abundant living, Underline John 15, 11. I wonder how many messages I actually don't quote John 15. I think you'll probably tell it's my favorite. Jesus says, I came that you may have life, and that you may have it how? Abundantly. Mm-hmm. I came that you may have a joy, that your joy would be overflowing, Abiding in Christ brings a joy beyond circumstance. Abiding in Christ doesn't mean you're going to be rich. You could be flat broke up somewhere in Canada and feel like you're home because you have an abundant joy and a connection with God that He's sustaining you and providing for you and blessing your ministry. We're so honored to hear about that Wednesday night from Ralph and Dorothy. Abundant living that's the second backup I think for what's being said here that that uh, this is the way you're designed You're designed to abide in Christ and to draw joy from him Well, let's wrap it up with a joyful concept of suffering Living in times of suffering Roman numeral three Roman numeral three we we understand that good will be met with evil But there very well could and believe there will, there very well could come a time where we are receiving more and more and more persecution. And so I think we're pointed back to 1 Peter 1 verse 6 where Peter reminds us of the audience of one. Write that down in your notes. Audience of one. We're going to be reminded, so be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Do you remember when that joy comes? If you remember, when you see the Lord Jesus and you hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And so understand that there is a time where you will stand face to face. If you're, if you're nodding off, wake up for this part. This is huge. Elbow the person next to you because you will stand face to face with Almighty Christ and we will give an account as Corinthians tells us and we will talk about the times we missed opportunities to serve, talk about the times we we're blessed to take those opportunities to serve. We will suffer loss, but we will experience joy when the Lord Jesus reinforces, rewards the blessings. This suffering, instantaneous, just short compared to the eternal blessing of the reward of well-done, good and faithful servant. It is worth it. Hang in there. Hang in there. Persevere. Be steadfast. In verse 14, remember, in verse 14. Even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Then we get to point C of number three. One of my favorite verses. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. This is a marvelous message of the gospel. This is a marvelous tip for how to share the good news of Jesus Christ. There are very important times where you are speaking the gospel, where you are initiating conversation. Next weekend, next Sunday is our opportunity. Throughout this week is our opportunity to initiate conversations. Invite people here. Do you love someone enough to invite them to come? Let them turn you down, no problem, but have you extended the invitation so that those people will come and hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? There is a time to be vocal. There is a time to initiate gospel sharing. But verse 15 says there's a time to wait for gospel sharing. There's a time to respond to questions. Last night we heard videos of a couple of employees here in town and they were talking about some of the tri-state students that work there, some of the students who know the Lord as their Savior. And over and over they talked about their integrity and their hard work and their kindness and their respect. And if you don't understand why, it's confusing. And I'm excited for Nick and for... uh, the Chick-fil-A crew, Will and Jaden and Andrew and the Emmaus crew, right? Lily and company. I'm excited for that time where your work is so hard and your effort is so strong and your gentleness is so abundant that you're going to get the asked question, what, what's with this? Why are you so weird in a good way? Why are you so different? Will I be ready? To Give an answer, will I be ready to explain the hope that is within me? We had a, a realtor that was helping us close on some property this week, and she said, now the the, the closings tomorrow you 're all set yet and Dad says, yep, lord willing she said well, what do you mean lord willing? what do you mean what 's wrong and that gave him an opportunity didn 't it an opportunity to explain, well, you know what life is short, and I believe that because of my relationship with the Lord Jesus I need to wait on Him and I need to to trust Him that, that every good thing is going to take place in the time. I can't make these plans without trusting that God is the one who brings them about. He died to pay for my sins. Why wouldn't I trust Him in all these little things? Do we prepare for those opportunities? Do we live with such submission, gentleness, sympathy, tenderheartedness, brotherly love, humility, There will come a time... What's what's with it, Garrett? Why why are you so nice? Are we ready? Are we ready? Christy taught me one of my favorite things. This was uh, 11 years ago. We read a book that talked about uh, walking across the room, this idea that these relationships... That we just, why don't I have a relationship where I can share the gospel? And it was the thing of open your eyes. You talk to a barista at Starbucks. You, you talk with your mechanic. Your neighbor says hi every morning. Do you engage, right? And this idea of, hey, we have these opportunities. Do we engage in these relationships? And I said, Christy, I don't really feel like I know how to do that. And she said, well, maybe we just need to be more real. When you're with your friends, you talk, your Christian friends, you talk about, oh, Lord willing, will do that. Or, I'm so thankful for God's blessing in this way. Or, man, this was so great. God really answered my prayer. But then when we get with our neighbors, sometimes we clam up on it. We feel like we can't talk the same way. Maybe we should. Maybe your testimony of, yeah, God has blessed us so much. I'm so thankful. Yeah, this is really a blessing. I think that matters to people. Just try it and watch them go, okay. Maybe the next time it's... And then maybe the third time it's like, well, okay, what gives? Right? This is so powerful. Put notes on that. Who's the next person you encounter? Is it going to be your waiter this afternoon? Is it going to be your neighbor? Write it down. And make sure that you're genuine in your sympathy, love, humility, and tender with them. And make sure that you're not shying away from speaking just in general about this hope that is in you. Powerful, powerful challenge. I better get my notes. Last point. Last point. Verse 18. The ultimate example. The key. Verse 18. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but He died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but He was raised to life in the Spirit. If you need motivation... If you think you got it tougher than anybody, turn to 1 Timothy 3.18 and look at the example of Christ. And nothing we encounter will ever compare to the suffering that our Lord Jesus was willing to go through to bring you safely home to God. Nothing. If He can endure... All that he endured, including his own father turning his back on him and punishing him for your sin and my sin, I can handle the grumpy mailman. Father, we're so thankful that your word is clear. We're so thankful that we have our blueprint today. We know how you want us to think. We know how you want us to act. But Lord, we understand now that you want us to feel the way you feel. We want us, you want us to confess, as this passage said, turn our hearts from evil. We know that you want us to confess where I'm feeling wrongly. And through your word, through the Spirit of God, we know that you you want to help transform our mindset, our feelings to align with you. Father, make that change in us. Allow us to submit to your desire to make that change in us. And I pray that a bright beacon would go from these lives with our marriages, with our parenting, with our church family, with our work, with our neighbors. We're excited to see all you want to do through this obedience to submitting to you in these ways. We praise the Lord Jesus. We honor his name. We're excited to remember him together in a few minutes. We're excited to celebrate him even through this amazing uh, blessing of baptism. And we submit to you in Jesus' name.